Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and welcome to Episode 12 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritschews. Our guest this episode is Pops Walker, a man we've wanted to have on the podcast since before there even was a podcast. In fact, Pops was the first guy I contacted once our president, Terry McNemer, gave me the green light to proceed with recording, because I knew Pops would be the perfect source for theme music for our show. Thankfully, Pops said yes. Pops Walker has been entertaining a small but ever-growing group of fans for over 20 years now. He's performed in various venues around the world, including two appearances at the West Virginia Writers Summer Conference. He hosts the Shenandoah River Song Fest, a large annual event for performing songwriters, as well as the Wetlands Series, a small intimate musical event that takes place about four times a year. His CDs include Cutting in Line at the Karmic Buffet, Milepost 5, The Crumb Sessions, Bootleg Blues, and Live and Driving On. He specializes in a genre of music he calls Southern Fried Zen Mojo, a phrase coined just for him. He's also the mastermind behind the Shenandoah Valley Acoustic Roots Songwriting Contest that's still accepting entries through August 15th. Pops Walker, welcome to the podcast. Very, very fine to be here. Good to, good to hear your voice again, buddy. It's been a while since we've chatted, I guess since the, the 2008 conference, somewhere around there, where you uh, had arrived there with uh, Keith and Joan Pitzer who are friends of West Virginia writers. You betcha. That was a fun weekend. It's always, well, it's doubly fun because it's always fun to hook up with Keith and John. Um, I just love that couple to death, uh, both as friends and as, you know, uh, great musicians. What is your general background? I understand you did some uh, a good good bit of time in the military. I did 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the short version. Upon graduation from high school, I retired for a little while. <laughs> Went south of the country. Uh, came back and started working for the for the railroad, and uh, eventually, this is, and this is a weird little thing, and it's quite a mouthful. At that time, I was the youngest foreman in the history of the Association of American Railroads. Did a, I was kind of like a straw boss for a, a group of maintenance away workers. I, I had to learn to do it myself for the first year or so, you know, swinging a pick and swinging a hammer. Uh, matter of fact, that's where I got my pension for the blues, listening to those guys sing while they work. And bopped around after that for a while, played a little bit of music here and there, nothing serious. Never did get serious until uh, mid-90s, but somewhere in between, I jumped in the Army and did 20 years, and now I'm living large, just having a good time. You've been performing music for 20 years on and off. Uh, when did the songwriting element enter into it? Oh, my goodness, I guess... I guess it was back in the late 70s I started putting things together. I never have played consistently and constantly. I'd pick it up for a few years, lay it down for a few years. Uh, the, the, the songwriting, I guess, started in the, the late 70s. And I think it was about 1995, no, 96, excuse me, when I was in, doing a tour in Hawaii for Uncle Sam. But it hit me that, my God, I'm pretty damn good. <laughs> Weird thing happened to me over there, too, Eric. I fell down and hit my head on some, some asphalt. 
uh, it kind of rattled my brain a little bit. But when I snapped out of it, all my axons and neurons got rearranged, rerouted, mm-hmm. and I started becoming a songwriting fool. And at any given time now, I mean, give me a topic and I'll write you a song straight, you know, right, right then and there. Uh, I have to, literally, I have to turn the faucet off. Wow, so it's sort of like a, sort of like a brain reset. You betcha, you betcha. It was a reset with different wiring. And, and those two years that I was in Hawaii, I think I must have penned 30 songs. I think I'm still waiting for, for my big brain reset. I understand head trauma is a good thing for that, though, so I'll look into that. It hurt, but the results were okay. Now, I, I always like to ask creative types uh, about their recipe, kind of all the ingredients and influences that went into them to make them who they are and contribute to their creative output. What would you say is your musical recipe? My recipe? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the old saying of when you're teaching writers about how to write, write what you know. Well, that's that's my recipe. Write what and and sing and play what I know. Um, uh, there's a there's an element of fiction to my my songs, but um, by far and away the vast majority of them are from either my experiences, personal experiences, or vicarious experiences through my friends. Something that if, if I don't have First-hand knowledge of, um, second-hand knowledge is about as far away as, as I go. And I've been asked which comes first, the lyrics or the, you know, the, or the melody. And my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. It really depends. Uh, there's sometimes you you get a lovely line in your head, whether it be a melodic line or a, a lyrical line, and you just run with it. Um, you know, many times when I write out. I'll have something finished in, in an evening, sometimes within a couple of hours. But if I don't, um, if, if, if I find myself having to work at it, I just put it down and then come back at it later. If it doesn't flow, then it doesn't go down. What about influences as far as other musicians go? Oh, my goodness. Early influences, believe it or not, for an old, old blues guy like myself, James Taylor, I still consider him one of the, the finest songwriters in America. Oh, certainly. Of course, B.B. King, uh, Robert Johnson, Bonnie Raitt, mm-hmm. really pushed mm-hmm. me, uh, Billy Withers. And last but not least, and this usually throws people for a loop when I tell them, um, but they could, they could hear this influence in, in my instrumentals, is Ravi Shankar. Ah, yeah. You know, like that piece you do for your... For the podcast theme music, which is a piece called Southeastern from the Crumb soundtrack. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's, that's my twisted vision of what would happen if Greg Allman... And Ravi Shankar set to down, set down together a couple of string instruments. Now, I've told this story here before that I'd originally been trying to get Keith and Joan Pitzer for entertainment in 2007, and then one of our board members, Rhonda White, stopped me and told me, no, 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 you need to get Pops Walker. He's the guy that's behind the soundtrack to Lee Maynard's Crumb, and we're already having Lee Maynard at the conference and Ross Ballard, who did that adaptation for Mountain Whispers Audiobooks. And this made sense to me, have the triumvirate of, of Crumdom, I guess you would call it, uh, I'd not heard much of your music until basically your performance and the chills I got from it there told me we'd made the right choice. I appreciate that. And I'll tell you what, um, that was a special weekend, and I was pumped for that because, you know, you play for all kind of audiences, you know, but never had I had the, the pleasure and treasure of sitting down, or, you know, sitting down and performing for a bunch of wordsmiths. I mean, face it, they were all poets, writers. I knew that these guys would be lyrically in tune 
So, you know, in, instead of it, <clears throat> hindsight being 2020, I, said, it, I, I guess it wasn't daunting to me. I, I embraced it because I knew people would be listening um, uh, with, with both ears, and that really pushed me over the top. And that was one of the best performances uh, I've, I've ever given in my life. And I've done a slew of them, but I don't remember anything that gave me chills quite like well, that. You said something to me after that, that first concert at the conference that stuck with me. You said, nobody in there is having more fun than me. Somebody might be having just as much fun, but nobody's having more. <laughs> that's right, and that's, and that's my goal. When I stop having fun at it, I'll stop performing. You know, I, so that's, that's the number one rule, not just in my, my music and uh, performance, but in my life right now. If it's not fun... I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, I thought that statement so perfectly described your performing style as well, because as a member of the audience, we could clearly see that you were having the best time in the room, the way you throw your entire person into those songs. Yeah, I tell you what, I can't wait for you to read a piece that, that Lee wrote. Um, I'm about to publish a series of essays, a, you know, a small book myself, and, you know, only 100, 100 pages or so, and, and Lee writes an, an intro to it, but he also writes, he doesn't know it yet, but he's, he's written the coda in which he describes that night. And, of course, you know, um, as only Lee could do it, he, he nails it perfectly, you know, about the magic that was happening that night. That's, that's one of the, the phrases that came to me, because uh, as outstanding as, as your concert itself was, there was also the live collaboration you did with Lee Maynard on the stage as he read a short story and you accompanied him. And it's it was a moment like that that I was like, man, I wish we could have recorded that, but somehow it seems more magical that we didn't. <laughs> you should you should have been on the porch at the lodge on Friday night <laughs> when we were into our cups doing that. <laughs> that started out with just me uh, and Lee and, and Bobby. You know, my lady was sitting around, and all of a sudden, you know, Kirk was there, and Boyd was sitting around, Boyd Carr, and... Mm -hmm. You know, I'd ask Lee, uh, Lee, what, what, what you going to read to me, buddy? And uh, what's the timber? What's the tone of this next piece you're going to do? And he'd, he'd tell me what it's about and, you know, tell me about the feeling of the song. I said, all right, go ahead. I think I got something for that. And it became a, a literary musical jam. And that, that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And, that's, and Saturday night, all we did was just do a, you know, a couple of more pieces that we hadn't done the night, the night before. So he and I already knew that he and I, we could get in the pocket together. Yeah, you seem like kindred spirits. Oh, my God, yes. How did you come to work on the soundtrack to Crumb? Ross Ballard, he, he had seen me perform at a couple of places, I, I forget where. And, and Ross usually, on his, his former pieces, those, those former books, he would get a series of musicians. He'd get, you know, five, six, maybe eight different people to do songs on them. But I think I was probably the only one that was foolish enough or had the waivers to do such a raunchy novel. <laughs> and I think Ross was counting on that. And once I read the book, I went, oh my God, yeah, I'm all over that. Well, let's hear a bit of the music from the Crumb soundtrack. Uh, this is going to be the title track, which is called Crumb. Virginia, I had an eclectic little group of friends. Some had class, most poor white trash. That's where the story begins. Maybe ends. Yeah. 
trying to get laid. Biggest thing on the girl's mind. Trying to get paid. And status. Adoration. Or maybe coin. Yeah, they like coin. Getting away from now was my childhood dream. Getting away from now was much harder than I've seen. Down in Crumb, that's right. Leaving Crumb. Let me tell you what we do now. <laughs> Something like that. Blow up the outhouse. Steal yourself some meat. Slip away to the river. Try to beat the heat Aggravate that preacher man Get him on in a fuss Expose yourself in all your glory To the poor folks on the bus Down in Crump That's right It was unincorporated <laughs> Down in Crump That's right It was also Very Now that I'm gone, I find myself missing my little group of friends. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the memories, they grow fonder. Father that I wander. Memories, they grow fonder. Father that I wander. understand you're working for the on the music for the adaptation of Lee Maynard's sequel to Crumb, Screaming with the Cannibals. How mu how's that going? Oh, my part was done over a year ago. <laughs> Ross has got some other things going on, and I just talked to him about a month ago, and sometime this summer that's going to be released. I follow Ross on Facebook, and he posts updates as to where he is in the process on occasion, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't even know, you know, exactly what's going to be on there. I gave him like I don't know, fourteen or fifteen pieces, and I said, "You decide what you want." You know, it's, I know he's going to do the, the screaming with the Campbells, that was much like Crumb. I wrote it just for that piece. Let's talk about the Shenandoah Valley Acoustic Roots Songwriting Contest that you're heavily involved with. How did this come about? I've been involved with some other big songwriting contests. I won't mention them by name. Um, and you'll understand why in a moment. But I've been involved with some big ones where I've both performed um, and judged and had a good time with them, but kind of figured out they were doing it incorrectly. What would happen is, as a preliminary judge, they, the contest folks would send me CDs, and I'd listen to 100, maybe 200 songs. 
and there were six or seven people that each submitted six or seven songs and blessed their hearts. They couldn't sing, they couldn't write, they couldn't play. It was horrid. And yet no one was telling these people, stop. <laughs> and that was like 30, 35 bucks a pop. I said, this is wrong. Uh, that's, that's, that's preying on somebody's dreams. I said, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And then after a couple of years of thinking about it, I said, you know, you should do it, but you should do it on your own, and you should do it in what we've, we're billing it as a karmically correct contest. You can only enter two songs. You can enter one or two. In either, either case, it only costs you 25 No less, no more. We're focusing on acoustic roots because I'd never heard of a, of a songwriting contest that focused you know, simply on acoustic roots, which is my bias. So that was my idea, and I'm associated with the Performing Arts of Luray, um, a nonprofit group here in Luray, Virginia. We've got a little performing arts center there, and I approached them about it, and they jumped on the bandwagon with me, so this is our first year. And gosh, um, if people are interested, or if you know a songwriter out there, um, and it doesn't have to be a great singer or a great player, we're looking for great songs. That's where most of the points are going to, is what is the feeling about the song, the overall feeling about the song? What's the juxtaposition of melody and, uh, and lyrics? Um, you know, if your listeners know somebody like that, or if they're, they're a writer, please go to my website. Uh, and we'll have links for that on our, our website so people can go right to it directly from us as well. For submissions, you have a drop-dead date is August 15th. Me and the other preliminary uh, judging panel will get together and figure out the top ten, and, and they'll be invited to come perform those songs live at our Performing Arts Center on uh, October 3rd. And then that'll be the, the finals, essentially. That'll be the, that'll be the finals. But, but as well as those top ten finalists, we're going to have one of the finest songwriters in America there, Chuck E. Costa, a good friend of mine, and just a wonderful songwriter out of Connecticut. And we're going to have Boku Blue, David and Adrian now, our father-son duo out of, out of Philly. And both of these acts I've had uh, for the last three years at, at my uh, invitation-only uh, song, song, uh, song fest at the river. So uh, it's going to be a special show. Anybody that's interested in songwriting, how to craft a good song, y'all want to come out there October 3rd, trust me. It's going to be something special. Yeah. Well, Pops, thank you very much for lending us some of your time today and, uh, and for lending us your music, of course, for this podcast. It's my pleasure. I have such fond memories of the conference down there. Love to your audience. Folks, y'all don't know what a good guy this is unless you've met him before. Appreciate it, Eric. <laughs> Thank you much, sir. Once again, the Shenandoah Valley Acoustic Roots Songwriting Contest is accepting entries through August 15th. All the rules and, as Pop puts it, nitpicking details can be found at popswalker.com. We also have a link to that rules page through our very own website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. On our next episode of the podcast, we'll be talking with Morgantown-based poet Mary Lucille DeBerry. We'll be speaking with her about her recently published first collection of poetry entitled Bertha Butcher's Coat. That'll be in two weeks right here on the podcast. Our opening voiceover is provided by Marcus Gertrude Vowell, who I had lunch with in Mississippi just last Sunday. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.